got a question for you. You know, what comes to your mind when I say the word compassion? I would imagine several things may come to your mind, but perhaps uh, certain people, you know, come to your mind. Uh, you see their face, you, you recognize their name in your mind, just people that are compassionate, they're, you know, genuinely concerned about the well-being of other people. Or maybe there are certain actions that you recall in your own life where you uh, took a loss in order to help someone else and you sought their good. You had a genuine concern for them. You know, if, I were, if I were to, to define compassion, I would say that compassion is being genuinely concerned about the well-being of someone else which compels you to act. So I would actually say, if you don't act, then you actually are not uh, experiencing compassion the way we see it outlined in the Scripture. There's a, it's a genuine, genuine concern that compels you to act upon it. And this is what we see with the Lord, and this is what we see with His people as you read through the Scripture. In other words, there's this, there's this posture uh, of compassion that, that produces this merciful action. Now, as we look at this last chapter in the book of Jonah, compassion is going to be the theme. And actually, compassion has been the theme all throughout. You know, God uh, calls Jonah and He tells Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh. I charge you to go to Nineveh. And I want you to share with them a message that I'm going to give you that will show them uh, how their actions and their way of life is against God. And Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be any part of that. Because uh, he knew that God was perhaps orchestrating an opportunity for repentance. Meaning an opportunity for these Ninevites, these people that were living in direct opposition to God. He was orchestrating an opportunity for them to actually turn from their evil and turn to God. And so Jonah said, I, I don't want anything to do with that. However, God takes Jonah through a series of events to soften his heart and show him that he's in need of mercy and perhaps others are as well. And Jonah decides to turn back to God and make himself available to, to be used by God. And so he goes to Nineveh as God's mouthpiece. And he goes into the city and he proclaims God's message. And the people of Nineveh actually respond to Jonah in a way that Jonah was not anticipating. They respond by turning to God. In verse 10, in chapter 3, we read that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, we see Jonah's response. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And this was his response to see people turn. Now, we read this and we think, wow, you know, Jonah, what a terrible guy, you know. A whole city turns from evil and turns to God. And we think, that, that's great news, that's wonderful news. And yet Jonah doesn't think it's wonderful news. And perhaps the reason we think it's wonderful news is because that we are so far removed from Nineveh. 
you know, what difference does it make in your life that some country far away turns to God? You know, what, what impact does that have on you? How many of you are tracing your spiritual lineage 2,700 years ago to Nineveh? <laughs> None of you. <laughs> and so there's, there's not a vested interest in Nineveh. You don't have anything against Nineveh. And so to see them turn to God, you think, that's great, that's great news, that's a good thing. Well, Jonah didn't think so. And so we see Jonah, we read this, and we think Jonah is a selfish, nationalistic, judgmental prophet. And we say to ourselves, I don't see how he could act like that. But before we get too judgmental on Jonah, let's look at an object lesson that God gave Jonah. And I want us to see here Perhaps that we have more of Jonah within our own hearts than we care to admit. Look with me at Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And we'll come back to the first couple verses above that in just a moment. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it a cover over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So Jonah, he entered the city from the west, delivered the message, exited the city to the east, made himself a kind of a temporary shelter you know, using materials that he could find around the outskirts of the city. And he was going to sit here and try to figure out what would happen to Nineveh. And some scholars believe that this section of the book of Jonah actually occurs before the dialogue in verses 1 through 3 with God. You know, the writer is ending the book on this, with this object lesson. And so you can picture you know, Jonah camping outside the city with this temporary shelter that he's put together. And it's, it's blazing hot, and Jonah's trying to manufacture some type of shade for himself. Well, God comes along, and He causes this plant to grow faster than usual, and it provides shade for Jonah, and he begins to enjoy that shade immediately. And you all know how this is, I mean, to be in the hot sun. For example, just, I think a week or so ago, I was uh, at, at my daughter's uh, soccer game over at the YMCA, and um, blazing hot. She was on one of these fields. There's no shelter. Just out there blazing hot. And uh, I'm looking around for some type of shade relief. And I noticed there's a sliver. There's a sliver of shade on the back of the field along the fence. And so I gather my crew together and I say, well, we're going to go over here to this sliver of shade. You know, this, and the sun you know, is beating down trying to remind us that summer's not over yet. You know, it's coming down on us. And so I, I pull them over. We're in this sliver of shade. I'm enjoying this, you know, shade that is cast by these oak trees. And it's just amazing how much relief that you receive uh, just from a little bit of shade. And so we can all relate to Jonah. We've been there. We've been in a hot situation, very thirsty, and then we get relief from that. And he, obviously he's pretty excited about it. And I can see how Jonah, he becomes attached to the plant. He likes the plant because the plant... Is providing something for him. He's providing, he's providing shade 
much needed shade for him. But then we read in verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. Uh, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And here's the lesson. The Lord says to Jonah, You pity the plant, or you have concern for the plant, you're compassionate about the plant, for which you did not labor, and you did not cause to grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And here's his lesson. Should not I pity Nineveh? Should should not I have concern, have compassion for Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So we see the object lesson that God gives Jonah. Jonah is capable of compassion and concern because he has concern for the plant. But he has more concern for a plant than he does for people. And you may be saying, well, I would never be more concerned about a plant than a person. Well, I think we have a lot more in common with Jonah than perhaps we may think. So if we can take our eyes off Jonah for a moment and turn them inward to ourselves, uh, let's look at our own hearts for a moment. I think we have a lot in common with Jonah. We like to be comfortable. We like to be the ones in the shade. right? We don't want to be out there in the sun. We want to be in the shade. We want to be on the receiving end of mercy and compassion. You know, just think about this. Let's say you're, you're cruising down the road. Uh, maybe you're trying to make it to a certain appointment. And uh, you get pulled over by the police. Uh, You're speeding. There's no denying it. You're speeding. Well, he pulls you over, and he comes to the window, and what do you do? Well, you probably are not saying, yep, I was going really fast down that road. (laughs) Would have gone faster, but this guy was in front of me. You're probably thinking, oh. And you're thinking to yourself, I hope he shows me compassion and mercy, and he gives me a warning. That's what we want. We want a warning. We don't want a ticket. Or think about this. Think about if you've ever, have you ever missed a, uh, like a credit card payment or a, a, a payment for your utility bill or whatnot? And you know when you miss that payment, they tack on a late fee or some type of penalty, right? Well, when you do that, when you do that, what do you do? You probably, you probably call the company, whoever it is, could be uh, the energy place or the credit card place, and you may say, I, it, "This just slipped my mind. I, you know, I meant to pay this on time. You know, I just—is there any way you could show me, you know, a little grace here, a little mercy, and take that payment away? You know, take that fee away? And maybe I'm the only one that's ever done that, but." In other words, we like, to, we like to be on the receiving end of mercy. And when they say, you know, this time I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to give you a warning. Or I'm going to give you, you know, I'm going to take that late fee away. You know, you're just excited. You know, because you've received a benefit. Uh, and they didn't, you didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But you received it. And you're happy that you did. And the point is, we, we love to receive mercy. We love to receive it, but it's hard to extend it. And you think about, why, why is that? You know, why do we, we know how it feels to receive mercy, but we find it very difficult sometimes to, to extend it. But just thinking of my own heart, I, I think about, why is it hard for me to do that? And I think one reason I find it hard to extend mercy to others is because uh, I think that I'm better than I am. And maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Even though I doubt any of us would stand here and say, you know, I actually don't need God's mercy. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I don't really need it. None of us would say that. We would all, just like Jonah, say, I am in need of God's mercy. But I do think sometimes we fail to grasp the cost of the mercy that was extended to us. And therefore, we fail to extend that same type of mercy to other people. Does it ever strike you how quickly our prayers move from thank you to why aren't you giving me this? Or why are you giving them that? Or will you hurry up and judge these people? I mean, do you see how quickly our prayers slide into this sense of entitlement with God? And when that slide happens, it shows itself in how we treat other people. It makes it hard for us to be compassionate. And we, we become like Jonah. And even though we have a relationship with God, and we may even be available to be used by God in certain ways, there's still this hardness or this crust you know, around our heart that keeps us from extending godly mercy to other people. And there's, a, there's this lack of mercy, a lack of compassion. And remember, compassion is this genuine concern for the well-being of someone that compels you to act. And I think what happens, I know at least in my own life, is that I lose sight of the God of the Gospel. You know, our first love. And when we do that, we become unable to extend the mercy that He extends to us. We, we become unable to extend it to other people. And we see the hardness here of Jonah's heart in his confession in verse 2 as to why he did not want to be God's messenger of mercy to Nineveh. Look at verse 2. It says, And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So Jonah's saying, I know the character of God, that He is gracious, He's compassionate, He's slow to anger, He's relenting from disaster. And he knew that since God was sending a messenger to the people of Nineveh, that implied in that message that God was perhaps orchestrating an opportunity for them to turn to God. And Jonah, he didn't want anything 
to do with that. So Jonah refused to be an agent of mercy even though he had been a recipient of mercy. If you're a Christian, if you've tasted the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, then we are called, it's just a natural outflow that we would be a giver of mercy. We would be extending mercy. But instead, in Jonah's life, he, he probably wouldn't mind extending mercy to other Jews. But when it meant going to Nineveh, he put boundaries around the area that he was, he was willing to extend the mercy of God to people. And so he said, I don't want anything to do with it. And Jonah, I think, when you get down to it, I think he just believed that some people deserve God's mercy more than other people. I don't think he would say, I, I, I don't need God's mercy. I think he says, I, I do need God, God's mercy, but I think there are some people that just don't deserve it. I want to tell you a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew 18 that I think will shed some light on God's call on our lives if you're in Christ. It's in Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew writes, he says, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. And he tells this parable. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. In other words, just an amount of money that there was no way he's going to be able to repay it. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And in verse 27, and out of pity for him, or compassion, or concern for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, you forgave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the king, the king has compassion. He had compassion on the servant who owed him lots of money And what you need to see here is that out of his compassion, the king was willing to take the loss for the good of the servant. 
And what you need to see here, in order, that, in order for mercy to be extended, someone has to absorb the loss. Someone has to absorb the debt. Someone has to absorb the pain. If mercy is going to be extended. And I think for us, I know at least for me, it's easier for me to extend mercy to people who are suffering because of things outside their control. For example, you know, someone's house burns down. Tornado, hurricane, earthquake. Uh, someone commits a crime against somebody else. They're, they're a victim. You know, there's something that they're suffering from that they did not bring upon themselves. But see, that's not what we see here in Jonah, in the book of Jonah. The Ninevites were suffering because of their own choices. And for me, sometimes these types of phrases enter my mind. And tell me if, if they enter your mind. When you see someone suffering because of their own choices or just living in rebellion against God, you may say things like this. Well, they're just getting what they deserve. Or, you know, one day, one day their sin's going to find them out. And I'm sure this type of mindset, maybe not the exact phrasing, but maybe something similar uh, found its way in the mindset of Jonah. And that's how he thought about the people of Nineveh. And yet we see in this account that the Ninevites were blatantly evil, sinful. I mean, they were willingly, blatantly living against God. And that evil was, I love the way it talks about it, just it was rising up you know, in God's presence. He was aware of it. He saw it. Because all of our sin is primarily sin against God. All the evil we do, all the choices we make, are, are all accountable and toward God, ultimately, primarily. And so their evil comes up before God. And so what he does is he sends a messenger to communicate the seriousness of their actions. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And yet he confronts the Ninevites with a posture of compassion. Because implied and wrapped up in that message is the message that if you turn, if you turn from the evil and turn to God, He offers mercy. And so the only way for that great city of Nineveh to experience the mercy of God, the full-fledged mercy of God, is if they turn to God from their sin. Now you may say, well, Ron, what would have happened if they did not turn to God? Well, I think the city would have been destroyed. But the fact is, there's a, there is an opportunity there. There was an opportunity for Nineveh, and there's an opportunity for us. Compassion, it, it puts us in this posture that we need to confront evil but at the same time leave room for reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy to be shown. And we see that with God in Nineveh. God is just. He's holy. Their sin was against God. And yet God was able to offer the opportunity for repentance and turning and taking on the debt that was owed. And we've all experienced that. You just imagine if someone owes you a debt so they owe you $20,000. 
and you and they come to you and they say, I just can't pay it. And you say, well, that's okay. You know, I'm just, I'm just going to take the loss. Because I see you're in a tight spot. I think this would help you. Someone has to take the loss. Someone has to bear the brunt of the sin. And it was the same with Nineveh. There's always a cost involved where sin is involved. <clears throat> if you have to absorb a debt, if you have to absorb the pain then it's much harder, at least I find, to extend mercy to people than if they're dealing with something outside their own control. And yet, this is the kind of God we serve. He is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. And listen to what Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse, verses 4 and 5. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. So when you get down to it, there's really no difference between the Ninevites and us. You know, all of our sin is primarily against God. And we too are confronted with the pronouncement that if we remain in our sin, if we continue to try to build our life apart from God, then there will be a judgment on that. Somebody has to absorb the payment, the consequence. And that someone's either going to be us, or it'll be God. And in the Gospel, like Paul says here in Ephesians, what Christ has done for us is He has given us an opportunity to allow Him to absorb the debt. So that we can receive mercy. And therefore be a conduit of mercy to other people. But we have to receive it. You have to allow God to absorb the debt. If you are going to be set free. You know it's said that Alexander the Great. When he would lay siege to a city. What he would do is he would set up a light. Before he overtook the city, he would set up a light, like a torch, given notice, he would give notice to the city through this light that if you come to me while this light is still lit, I will spare your life. But once the light goes out, the offer of mercy is over. And that's how it is with God. He is full of mercy, but yet that mercy, there is a window of opportunity to receive it. Your Christ is the light of the world. As long as you have the offering of Christ, you can run to Him and receive the mercy. But once Christ comes back and brings everyone account to God, that opportunity will be over. And so the question for us is, have you experienced the mercy of God? Because unless you've experienced the mercy of God, there's no way you're going to be able to turn it outward and extend the mercy of God. And what we see as well in the Scripture and in this passage, the more you know who God is, the more you meditate and absorb the Gospel, the more merciful, the more compassionate you will become. There's an old story 
of a Jewish rabbi who consented to take a weary traveler into his house for a night's rest. And after they ate, the rabbi asked the gentleman, How old are you? Almost a century old, the man replied. Are you a religious man? asked the rabbi. No, I I do not believe in God, said the gentleman. The rabbi was infuriated, angry, so he opened the door. He said, I cannot keep an atheist in my house. The old man hobbled out into the cold darkness, and later the Lord spoke to the rabbi. And he asked him this question. Why did you let him go? The rabbi replied, I turned him out because he was an atheist and I cannot endure him overnight. God replied, son, I have endured him for almost 100 years. Don't you think you could endure him for one night? See, the the mercy of God endured us. And sometimes Christians, you know, we become self-righteous you know, we imagine that we are living, living these wonderful lives and we begin to believe that God blesses us because we are good. And that is never true. We are blessed only because of what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. And so this morning, have you tasted the mercy of God? Have you experienced it? And if so, are you extending it? To people that are both suffering because of things outside their control as well as suffering because of their own choices. Are you giving them the opportunity to seek reconciliation and to enjoy not only reconciliation with you but also with God as well? Let us pray together. God, we come to you this morning distracted by our own sin. come to you this morning realizing that perhaps our prayers have slid from thank you to anger, frustration, bitterness, entitlement. Perhaps this morning we've been confronted with the fact that we extend mercy to a select few. And we put a cap on it. And we, there are just some, some folks, some people, uh, we just will not, will not be your agent of mercy to. Lord, help us to remember the gospel. Help us to look back and remember what Christ has done. Help us to reflect on the scripture that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Help us to remember that we didn't ask for it, we didn't deserve it, and yet you pursued us anyway and gave us the opportunity to respond. God, I pray you'd fill us with your mercy, your compassion, so that as we branch out of this place, that when people bump into us, your mercy would spill on them. And that is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.